Certainly, if you have a Bible, you are welcome to follow along. And we do have it up on the screen as well. So let me read that for us. And then we will consider it again together uh, today for a few minutes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the entire chapter, sometimes that might feel intimidating, but it's a short chapter, just 13 verses. So let's look at these together. You'll probably be familiar if you grew up in a uh, church context with these words, or if you've ever been to a Christian wedding. You've heard these words, probably. And Paul says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, such a great chapter, and of course, last week was Easter Sunday. We looked in the book of John and saw how Jesus came to his disciples after he had raised from the dead, and they were huddled in fear, and he spoke to them words of peace. Peace be with you. And he told one of his disciples, Thomas, who we know as Doubting Thomas, to stop doubting and to believe. And we talked about the freedom that we have because of the resurrected Christ to ask these kind of questions and to struggle with doubt. But there may be a time when we need to just stop doubting and believe. It could be, it could be that you are at a point in life where you're struggling and you just need to stop doubting and believe. Now, uh, that may be true for some of you. Perhaps you can relate to it. Um, it's certainly true for one person. Doug wanted to share 
where he uh, kind of applied that in his own journey as well. And we're going to let Doug share just a bit as a follow-up to last week and then a bridge to this week. So, Doug, come on up and share with us what relevance this has to you. Thank you. That's about right. About right? <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Doug Cutchall. Um, and when Mark was uh, sharing last week about the part, like he just said, about having doubts, and he said a couple of things like, sometimes we want to believe, but we're kind of on the fence, and it's like, eh. And the I believe helped me, helped me with my unbelief, and those both really resonated with me. Because that's about where I was three, four years ago, as before, before coming to Christ. And... Um, Okay, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> what can I say? I'm going to jog my memory here. Um, because I, I was definitely at a place where I, mean, I was surrounded by Christian friends. I liked the sound of the message. It kind of sounded too good to be true, honestly. It was kind of where I was at. And it's like, ah. And I was definitely at that place where it's like, I do want to believe. But the way I said it in my mind and said to other people is, I want to believe, but I want to be sincere. And it's like, I'm not there yet. And so, you know, talk with friends, listen to programs, read, you know, read. I don't think I ever read one single book. I read like a chapter here, a chapter there. And of course, looking back, I can see how God kind of pieced that together. Um, and my first prayer was actually, God, I don't even know if you're there. Because one of the lessons that I did pick up from people I talked to and set the sense that I got of things... Um, through the Bible, what I, was, what I was aware of at that point was he really likes sincerity, you know? And I literally thought, you know, if there is an almighty, all-knowing God of the universe, trying to fool him is probably not a good plan. <laughs> you know? So it's like, I'm just going to be straight up. If he knows that I'm doubting, then he, he already knows that. So that was literally my first prayer was, I don't even know if you're there. Um, and I say that as an encouragement to somebody else, anybody else who might be on that fence or know somebody, it's like, what do you have to lose? Worst case, you're talking to yourself. I mean, seriously. I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm one of those kind of little more literal people, you know? Literally, it's like, worst case, you're just talking to yourself. So, oh, well. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and over time, a Christian friend kind of pointed me at the scripture that uh, Mark mentioned about the man who says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And boy, did I wear that prayer out. And I still pull it out sometimes, okay? Um, and that's okay. Um, but that definitely helped to kind of get, get me through. And, and it, was, it was a process. I mean, it was a process of months, maybe years, depending on how you want to measure it. And finally came down to, I guess it was May of 2020, you know, finally got over that hump, so to speak, and said, yes, I believe, and, you know, please help me. But I'll be honest, even then, that prayer was like, man, was that sincere enough? And it took like two more tries over the course of the next six or eight months. It's like, can I have a do-over? But in retrospect, you know, because at the time, it's like, did I do it right, you know? But in retrospect, I, that first prayer, I know he accepted it. And I just point that out, that it's like, it's not like, I felt like I got to 100% believe and know everything and understand everything or else I'm not in, or I'm faking it, and it's like, that's not how it works. Uh, it's the old mustard seed 
um, faith. So anyways, I'll keep it kind of short. That was pretty much it. But um, just wanted to share that in case that's of use to anybody here or maybe somebody that, that you know of. And as a postscript, I found out after the fact I had a lot of people praying for me. They didn't tell me that at the time, but they told me that afterwards. <laughs> so I'll encourage you in that way also. So thank you. Thanks, Doug. So Doug is a follower of Jesus, and so am I. Some of you are also. And Jesus said, you know how the world's going to know that I'm real? You'll love each other. They'll know you're Christians by your love for each other and for the world. How do you think we're doing at that? If you were to ask people just generally, um, describe a Christian. I wonder if the first thing that comes to mind is love. They're so loving. It could be. Actually, it could be true. It could be that people say they are very giving, very generous. That people think Christians are very loving. But we, we know that there's a lot of work to be done if we're honest with ourselves. And in fact, Paul, who wrote this letter to this young church, recognized for all the zeal and excitement that they said yes to Jesus, they were struggling with what it meant to love God and to love others. In fact, to love each other. And so many of their things from their former lives, they were carrying with them <clears throat> into their new walk with Christ. And Paul says, look, it can't be that way. There's a better way. There's a more excellent way. I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure back when I was a teenager, you know, and there's something even more excellent than Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It is the way of love that Paul is describing here in this text, and it's absolutely beautiful, but it's also really messy. The whole series is called The Beautiful, Messy Bride of Christ. And what is compelling about the vision of love that God gives us is that the messiness creates opportunities to show love. It's not that when you enter into a relationship with Christ, all of a sudden everything is fine. In fact, things can get harder. Now you have the opportunity, though, to see what it looks like to bring heaven onto earth, as it were, in the context of relationships. And it's beautiful. And it feels impossible. In some ways, it is. We need a strength beyond ourselves to do it. And Paul wants to tell them it's available to you. So 1 Corinthians 13, the excellent way, it's the way of love. And it's really about the primacy of love. And the first thing that Paul says when he talks about love in these opening verses, verses 1 through 3, is that in the way of love, motive matters. In other words, why you are doing things is very important to God. Motive matters. I think this will be pretty easy to explain. Imagine if um, you're a husband and you've got your wife and, uh, and you bring home flowers sometime for, for your wife. Or you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend scenario, and, and the boyfriend says, I want uh, to do something romantic, maybe prepare a meal for uh, the beloved, clean, 
clean the apartment, write a poem, I don't know, something like that. And the woman then says, oh, this is so nice, why did you do this? If you say, because I have to, how do you think that will be received? What, what, what if you say, oh yeah, my college friends on a dare said, I'll bet you can't write a poem for your wife or something like that. That's why I wrote it. Now, the same action, but the motive was entirely different. It's exactly the same thing. There's dinner. There are the flowers. But the why matters, doesn't it? Why are you doing this? If you hear, babe, it's just because I love you. That probably resonates a little bit more than I just kind of have to. Or I'm after something else that I think I'll get in return. And, and here, Paul is saying this picture of of love is so important because the things that you do, okay, they sort of matter, but why you are doing them, even more important. Paul is saying the greatest gifts that you might have, even the most fantastic spiritual experiences, if they're not motivated by love, they're just like a loud noise. I mean, I, a resounding gong would be nice if we had somebody just come up here and do that. I think it would be annoying <laughs> to hear something like that. A clanging cymbal all throughout the message. Stop! I mean, it's kind of like some of those gifts that if your parents, you know, your kids have that make the same noise over and over and over again. And I think it's kind of a cruel joke that somebody maybe is playing on you, and you just like, stop it! And Paul is saying, that's kind of like what it is in the context of this body getting together. You can have great speaking gifts, great insight. You can have this incredible belief that creates results, but no love, it's worth nothing. And the most incredibly selfless person who gives everything away, or who surrenders personal health for a great cause, but has no love, you've so served no ultimate purpose at all. That's pretty amazing, really. Paul is saying that the motive behind our actions is more important than the actions themselves. Now look, so far, I think this could be something like a TED Talk. <laughs> I, I, you could take this right now and go to a college campus and everyone would say, yeah, love matters the most. Love wins. Love, love's awesome. Love is love. And, you know, is Paul saying something more than that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 was not written in a vacuum. It has 12 chapters before it. So you're coming in, maybe, this, maybe you've just dropped in, and, oh, 1 Corinthians 13, love, I, this is a great message. Well, Paul's been talking for 12 chapters about how they're not showing love to each other, and that actually love has a claim on their lives. Let me just give you one example of that. You know, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 
Our modern idea of love is often something like accept everyone for who they are without any expectations. But Paul has already been saying love doesn't work that way. Not in God's economy. Because love always involves commitment. And commitment always has boundaries. I mean, it, it, it just does. That's the way it works. That's part of why this passage is popular for weddings, isn't it? A husband is committing to love a wife. The wife is committing to love a husband. They're making an exclusive claim on each other before family and friends and God saying, we are going to enter into a unique relationship that's different, and we have expectations for what that relationship looks like. And if you don't deliver on those expectations, you end up with divorce. That's there's something different. When you enter into that commitment, there are expectations that come with it. This is the kind of love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And if it's expressed properly, it's beautiful. And Paul is saying in, in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, You've got some gifts, because we're in the middle of gifts, but without the motive of love, it's meaningless, and you're headed toward disaster. So you've got to understand how important love is as a framework for exercising the gifts that you have. That's kind of, so that's why. That's the way of love. Motive matters. What about what love actually is like as he defines it. So the next section is the way of love, what it looks like. I don't know if when I was reading this, you were doing a self-evaluation here on a scale of 1 to 10, how patient am I? On a scale of 1 to 10, how kind am I to others in the context of community right, right here? Also take it home and to the workplace, wherever you happen to be. It, it felt a little bit like Proverbs 31. You know, you want to be a Proverbs 31 woman, and it's like this impossible job description. It kind of feels like, well, here it is here too. What does love look like? So you want to know. Paul says, hey, this is it. Let's, let's take these one, one step at a time and, and try to unpack it just, just a bit. Love is patient. That's what it looks like. Literally, literally, patient means Far-feeling, you know, far-sighted, short-sighted type thing. You feel far, like your feelings aren't short. If you're, if you're irritable or something, it takes a long time for you to get irritated with that other person because you're patient. And this is patience with people, not circumstances. It's long-suffering. You're not short-tempered. Kind, this is the only occurrence in the entire New Testament of this word. So it's not like you can compare it, but we all kind of know what kind is, right? You're nice, not mean, even thoughtfully nice. If love is, does not envy, literally it means not boiling. You know, not kind of... And especially when somebody else succeeds, somebody, the object of your love, you're... You're not displeased at that. You're, you're grateful for that. You're happy for them. Love does not boast. Literally not bragging. The, the root word means windbag. You don't brag about yourself or anything. You're humble. And you're not proud. You're not puffed up. 
You're, you're not arrogant. That love is not rude. It, that's a difficult word to translate. It, it means not being indecent, not disgraceful, not dishonorable. That love is not self-seeking. You're looking out for others' interests, not just your own. And love is not easily angered, not being incensed or sharpened. That is, you're not easily provoked. Love keeps no record of wrongs, not taking account of evil. You don't have a, an account of grudges that you've listed. You're throwing that away. Fresh starts all the time. Love does not delight in evil, not taking joy in injustice, literally. You don't take pleasure in, in misfortunes. Love rejoices in the truth, literally together joying in the truth. It, not morally indifferent. You care about the things that God cares about. Love always protects enduring or putting up with. And that, that's different. It's hard to translate some of these as it is in any language. But it's the idea, most commentators think, of just putting up with somebody. And always trusts, literally believing all. That is, you are, if you're really loving, you refuse to take things as final. You have a, a confidence in the eventual grace of God in that person's life to come to bear. Always hopes, expecting all, as we said. Oh, always trusts. I skipped that. Always trusts, believing all, eager to believe the best, not thinking the worst. That's nice, right? Always trusts. You're believing the best about something or about somebody. Always perseveres. Is that what we're on? You can't even see that, can you? I'll get out of the way in a second. Always perseveres, under-remaining all. In the Greek, you have a steadfast fortitude. And then finally, never fails. Never lapsing. Permanent. Look at that. Oh, that's awesome. Look at that list. There's your job description. <laughs> that The why, the motive that matters. Now we're talking about the what. What does love actually look like? You can kind of see why this is a bit of a never-ending opportunity with relationships around other people. We'll never quite get fully to that, but there is a target that is in front of us that Paul is laying out that is to be done in any community context. Now, he has the focus, of course, on the bride of Christ, the church, but this can be applied across all kinds of other areas as well. And the overall picture here is one of selflessness. Steve mentioned agape. This is agape love. When, when the words are being used here, it's agape. And guess what? This is a term that was coined by Christians, agape love. Didn't exist in the language. It's kind of a new expression of love that is self-sacrificing for the other and not just for myself. Why? What? How? Aren't you wondering how in the world you can start doing this stuff? I, I am. It sounds great. I think all of us would love that, especially for somebody we're living with. I hope you're paying attention to this. 
and you should be. What do you do? All right. Is my motive right? Certainly you asked for that. I see what I'm supposed to do. How do I do it? And let me offer a couple of suggestions. Here's how you can begin, hopefully, reflecting this kind of love. The, the first thing I would recommend is that you start with grasping God's love. This, this kind of love is reflexive in many respects. We only love God because he first loved us. We can only love others if we understand fully at least this kind of love, the agape love that God has given us. He so loved the world. He agape the world. He gave his one and only son. To what end? So that we then could love him and love others as well. Therefore, we don't have all of the resources in ourselves to love in this kind of way. And if that's true, then we need to grasp on a deeper level the love of God that has been expressed toward us. Some people have noted before the Bible says God is love. So if you're wondering about God's character, you can insert God's name where love is here. I mean, try that for a second. Back it up. Beep. 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 So God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He's not self-seeking. This is the kind of love that's been demonstrated to us. And so if we're going to do it, we need to make sure that we understand his love. Some of you will remember Alex Aronis. He was a spiritual mentor of mine. He is in his 80s now. He relocated to San Diego. And when I got together with him about once a month and said, will you just help me with my spiritual formation? I, I need help. And he got to know me and he verified, yes, you do need help. <laughs> and I said, okay, great. Well, bring it on. And uh, one, one of the uh, terms he would use, as some of you know, is, is with Christ, like Christ, and for Christ. That is, the, the total vision for walking with God is, or for a Christian, is to be with Christ, spend time with Christ, to become more like Christ, and to live life for Christ. And at least Alex believed that most people don't really know what it means to be with Christ. Maybe we're, con we're, we're concerned with becoming more, more loving. That's a good thing. Or doing things for the sake of the gospel. That's great. But if you don't spend time with God, your motive will be shifted. And soon it will be about what you've done. Because when you spend time with Christ, that's the environment in which you are constantly reminded of your need for him, even to become like him. So one of the things he would challenge me on is that part of it, with Christ. And especially as I'm a father and I have four children, I remember him saying, Mark, if you pray for one thing for your kids, pray this prayer. And th this is it. This is the prayer I'll put up there. It's from, from Paul in the book of Ephesians. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's pe people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is actually praying for these people, another church, that they would have the awareness of God's love for them. They're rooted in God's love. They're established. They're grown up in God's love. And he recognizes that I've got to pray. You have the power to actually grasp it. It's so profound. It's so astounding that I've got to pray that you can even begin to understand it. And it's so important to him that that's where his, the focus of his prayer is. You've got to get the love of God. You have to grasp its dimensions, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I want you to know that love. Because only then will we be filled with the fullness. So if you come to 1 Corinthians 13 and say, all right, let's tighten the belt. Let's pull up the pants. Let's love a little bit better. Welcome to a TED Talk. This isn't a self-improvement program like that. You cannot do this in your own strength. And you can't do it without first grasping God's love for you. This is not just a moral improvement program. So we need to say, Lord, help me grasp the love of God. That's at least a good starting point. And then you're free to pray next. Show me where I'm not loving. And empower me with your spirit as I aim for love. Now, that sounds a little convoluted, I understand. But it's intentional. The first thing we need to do is have awareness of where we are lacking in that love. And then we have to have the desire to change. Anytime you want to, to, to do better at something, you have to have some sort of internal desire to do it. Be aware of what your lack is. And then put yourself in a position to change. You know, I, I, I'm training, as I've told some of you, for an Olympic triathlon. And it's going to happen in August. And Bill happens to know somebody. He's done these things before. And I said, I'm very concerned about the swimming portion of it. As in, I might drown. <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm not a good swimmer. It's just like rock into water is what it feels like. So I need help. And he got me somebody who knows how to train and, and, and help people. And we had one lesson, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is you're a horrible swimmer. The good news is we can fix it. And then the second lesson, and I've only had two, he made a couple of changes, whatever, and it made a significant difference. And he said, oh, you know, looking back, honestly, the first time I saw you, he described me as a freak show in the water. <laughs> no charge. Come see the freak show. And yeah, made a couple of changes, but and and now it's not as if I'm setting any records, of course, but it is a very different experience. I can swim farther and and with far less effort. Um, nobody's called me a dolphin, but nobody's calling me a freak show apparently either, at least in the water and for the moment. But you see, I had to realize, I'd like to be a good swimmer. I know I'm not. Can somebody help me be better? And that, you know, that, that person came and said, well, here's what you can do. And I actually worked at it. There were exercises given to me 
do this thing. I looked, I know I looked ridiculous doing the exercises. I was told by people, you look ridiculous doing those things. But I was committed to it. And then eventually, when all of those things came off, huh, not a freak show anymore. And love is kind of similar in the sense that we look at these things and we have to realize, I'm not patient. But you don't stop there, right? You say, okay, what do I do with that? Well, I need to spend some time reflecting on, I am so grateful that God is patient with me. I mean, if he weren't patient with me, how many times do I do the same thing over and over and over again? So that when I have somebody in my life who does that same thing over and over again, I say, again? I think, oh, that's right. That's me. And God was patient with me. Help me, Lord, understand. Show me where I'm not loving. And then empower me with your spirit as I aim for love. I don't have the capacity in myself to be more patient. I can't. That's a great place to be. That's a very Christian place to be. Help me. I can't do this in my own strength. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the first fruit of the Spirit is love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And you know, fruit doesn't produce itself. You're just, fruit's just born on a, a tree. So there's some other energy source there. And you're just bearing it. That, that's, that's the idea here. Empower me with your Spirit. And yet, you do have something to do. You're aiming for love. You get the coach, you do the stuff, and you make some progress along the way. It takes intentionality. You know, it could be, for example, if you want to, perhaps this week you pray for one of these areas, and you look for opportunities to practice it. If you want to become more patient, then you have to become more aware of where you are not. So that's probably step number one. If you want to try this, I'd be interested in seeing what happens this week. Father, I would like to be more patient. Aren't those dangerous prayers <laughs> at times? But, but if you want to be loving, then pray it. And see what happens. He'll probably put you in situations where you will have highlighted opportunities to exhibit patience. And then when that happens... Ask God's spirit to work it into the fiber of your being. Over time, I look for opportunities to exercise patience at every turn. I've tried this before in, in relationships with people where I find them frustrating, perhaps uh, even just, you know, conversation for whatever reason. And I say, okay, God, I want to be more patient. And sometimes for me, it literally looks like praying a silent prayer in that moment. Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Seriously. Even if it just takes that moment to reorient me. And then as soon as I'm getting, I'm like, Okay, Lord Jesus, I'm not saying this out loud. I'm saying it to myself. And God will work that patience in me over time. And I want it. I want to be loving to the people close in my life. But it does take work. There's a certain effort that we put into it. But that effort flows from the love of God that he has filled in me. That's, that's the biblical way of love. 
There's other ways to do it. There's lots of people who exhibit love. But the Bible says you cannot conjure this up in yourself. You must have that love flow from God. Because as soon as you do something and you forget it's from God, you'll congratulate yourself. And then you're proud and arrogant and no longer loving. If this is done in community, you're loving others who are themselves not always lovable. It can be very messy, but it also can be very beautiful. And now the third point is, what about people in my life who aren't loving? Well, I would say, feel free to pray, Lord, will you show them where they are not loving and convict them? Because if this is really something, a matter of the heart that only God can do, He's got some work to do, and you aren't going to be very good at it when you're trying to control the results in that respect. So it, I think it's okay, and I even encourage it. Pray, Lord, in your prayer closet, as it were, can you please show them what a jerk they're being? <laughs> can you convict them of where they're impatient and completely arrogant and rude? And that's hard to do because we want some immediate results. And that is very much an act of faith and hope. It takes faith to say, okay, God, you do the work in them on your time frame in your way. As in right now, <laughs> strike them with lightning. <laughs> but not my will, yours be done. You know, it's, you, you have to... It takes faith, and it also takes hope. See, hope has a time attached to it. Hope is a time kind of word. It looks forward to the future. Faith trusts in the present that something you want will come about in God's time, in God's way. And so Paul underscores this very reality in the final verses here. And he says the way of love, well, it lasts to the end in verses 8 through 13. These things, prophecies, they'll cease. Tongues will be stilled. Knowledge is going to pass away. So he, he turns from the present to the future. The things that matter now, at the end, they're just gone. So focus primarily on what will last, what will remain to the end. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those, well, that's love. Why not invest in something that you know is going to be around forever? It's not Bitcoin, probably. I know some of us maybe who are aware of that think, oh, if I only had invested in Bitcoin. And you know what? They started doing that even in the professional world. Ah, forget about the guaranteed money. I'm going for Bitcoin. And so many people lost lots of money. Well, that's investing in something that's no guarantee. But this, why wouldn't you invest in it? The way of love lasts to the end. Why not invest in something you know will be around? Prophecies will cease, tongues, knowledge, even, even growth. We're headed toward a destination where we are fully known and fully accepted. That's a lot of what love looks like. And Christ has secured it. Christ has secured that destination by virtue of his death. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Love endures 
to the end, expressed most completely in the person of Christ. And when you love this way, you bring eternity into the present. I think that's a helpful way for me to consider it. If, let's talk about patience. Love is patient. I have an opportunity to exhibit patience, to be long-suffering. And when I, when I do that with God's strength, it's almost like I'm bringing the, present, the, the future to the present. I'm bringing heaven to earth. Where, where patience is, is in existence. So that, that, that to me can be at least a little inspiring. Like, whew, I'm able to bring a little bit of heaven to earth right now by being patient with this incredibly annoying individual. Whoever that may be. And then God re reminds me that that is me as well. I'm just seeing a reflection. Usually the things that irritate us the most are the very things that, you know, we... We have in ourselves, too. I think I've shared with you before, very prideful people really annoy me. And then I think, huh. <laughs> I think it's because I'm so proud. I'm just seeing somebody reflect me back. And, and proud people annoy God, too. He says that, not me. <laughs> but it, it's, it is hard. How do I love somebody like that? Well, I don't know if I can do it in, in this biblical way of love without knowing God's love for me, too. You know, the entire Bible, it's pretty remarkable. It's just all of this. That's a lot of words summed up in two things. Love God and love others. That's it. And there's a lot behind that. What does it look like? But even this whole idea of love constraining me to things, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. The commands flow out of a love that we have for the Christ who saved us. You know, I remember reading some time ago uh, about uh, somebody who was imprisoned for their faith and, uh, and died in, in, a, in a cave. And when they found this, this person's site, I think they, they, found, they found the bones. All they found was a picture of, uh, that this person had etched out with uh, uh, something on, on the rock. And it was a, a picture of Christ uh, on, on the cross with his arms held out. And he'd written on uh, each one of those dimensions the width, height, depth, and breadth. So for him, when he knew that he was going to breathe his last, it was the love of Christ. It was the love of God that allowed him to endure. Because he was looking forward to something that was guaranteed. And that's the encouragement here for us as well. If you don't know that love, it all it takes is a simple yes. And Doug was talking about that in the beginning. I don't know if this is real. Sometimes it just means saying, okay, but don't you want it to be? Doesn't that love sound great? The reason it sounds great, it's because it's real. It's true. So say, yeah, I need to know that love. And just say yes to God. Or if, if you know it already, and you're like, I'm not quite measuring up. Then be honest with God about that. And pray for the Spirit to convict you this week. And not just so that you can feel awful about yourself, but that so you can go to God with it and say, grow me in more into the likeness of your Son. And if we're doing that together, this community that we walk together with, this thing we call a church, too, it's going to be messy, but 
it's, it's going to be beautiful also, isn't it? Where we get the chance to extend the love that we've received to each other. That, that assumes that we're going to have opportunities to do it. And we just will. I know we will. And let's pray that, that it's used for God's glory and toward this end. Father, we do pray that you would give us a deeper sense of the profound love of God. We pray that we'd be able to grasp, together with all the saints, the width, the height, the depth, the vast expense of the love of God expressed in Christ. May it roll over us like a mighty ocean. And may from the capacity to grasp your love, we become people known as people who are loving. Then when they think of a collective whole of the bride of Christ, they think they are loving. I know sometimes even the idea of expectations attached to it feel like they're not loving, but we know it is. And so we pray that we would be motivated by this love, that you show us not just the why, but the what and the how this week and every day of our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.